0: On Enmeshed, we discuss crimes and situations that may be disturbing for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to Enmeshed, the show that reveals some of the most poisonous people come disguised as family.
2: Enmeshed family members are fused together by unhealthy emotions instead of the strong bonds that signal a well functioning family. Boundaries are blurred and unhealthy relationship patterns are formed. Hello, and welcome to Enmeshed, the podcast that explores family relationships and crime. I'm Amanda. And I'm Pam. And today we're talking about the most prolific serial killer partnership in history. This case includes kidnapping, rape, sex trafficking, forced abortions, starvation, torture, and an unfathomable amount of murder. We're talking about the Gonzalez sisters, whose reign of terror over the Mexican state of Guanajuato lasted over a decade and likely cost over 100 people their lives. That's not to mention the number of people affected by
1: those disappearances and deaths Families lost daughters and lost the children of those daughters that were either aborted or murdered at birth.
2: It's really just a horrifying story of how depraved four sisters can be together, especially when aided and abetted by local law enforcement. And I'm kind of reticent to say this, but rich customers who should really be called rich rapists. The conditions of the brothels and the way the women were treated could not have left any sort of question in their minds about whether they were there willingly or not, but some of those men were murdered by these sisters, too. So let's get into the story of the Gonzales sisters Carmen, Delfina, Maria Luisa, who also was known as Chewy, and Maria de Jesus. Our story starts in the early 1930s when the oldest sister, Carmen, opens a modest canteen with her much older husband. The man had rescued her from the local jail after her overbearing father imprisoned her there for over a year for having an affair with another much older man. We
1: aren't sure how he, quote, rescued her,
2: but back then it probably wasn't too hard to break someone out of jail or pay off a warden. No, I highly doubt it was very hard. The father, Isidro, was a violent alcoholic who went on the run after murdering a man. Their mother, Bernadina, was a staunch Catholic that instilled a lot of fear into her daughters about God's wrath and being obedient to the church. After suffering through an unpredictable upbringing with little money or stability, all four of the sisters were terrified of being poor. This fear inspired an entrepreneurial spirit that morphed into sadism and murder before too long. Carmen's little canteen wasn't bringing in enough money to keep the family comfortable, so Delfina decided to open one of her own. However, she also decided that food and drink wasn't enough to keep the local townsmen and travelers satisfied. Under the guise of providing jobs as maids or waitresses in big cities like Guadalajara, the sisters would lure young women aged 12 to 18 from neighboring villages to Guanajuato. Once there, the girls discovered they wouldn't be maids or waitresses, but instead had been trafficked into forced sex work. The sisters bribed local officials with sex and money to keep these girls in their brothel. As time went on, the Gonzales sisters would open more of these brothels in San Francisco del Rancón, Purisima del Rancón, El Salto, and San Juan de los Lagos, and another one in San Juan del Río, near Mexico City. We'll get to this expansion in a minute. You're doing pretty good with the Spanish pronunciation. Kudos. Yeah, first of all, we're recording in the morning. I'm not a morning person. Are you? No. Yeah, okay. Second of all, okay, so we're recording in the morning. Second of all, you have me speaking Spanish, which, if you remember our Papa Sisters episode, I'm a French girl. So this is all new territory for me. Well, you're doing good. Thanks. And
1: I hate these sisters, so this one is a hard one. But anyway, these sisters
2: were able to build an empire of brothels throughout the Mexican West. Besides isolating these young peasant girls away from their families or any other connections, the Gonzales sisters used torture and starvation to keep their victims in the brothels. They also hired brutal enforcers who would beat and rape the girls into submission. Initially, Delfina simply disguised that first brothel as a cantina, but a scandal in the town in 1948 brought too much attention to her business— So she moved all of her victims to another spot in San Juan de los Lagos, which is part of Jalisco. She noticed that most of her customers were men of power, like police officers, soldiers, and high ranking politicians. She put a number of law enforcement officers on her payroll to keep the brothel running. They also got the best pick of the girls. That's when she got her sisters involved in the scheme. Maria de Jesus took money from their customers, Maria Luisa did the cooking, and Carmen made clothing as well as kept track of anything the sisters lent to their victims. This was another way they exercised control. All clothing, makeup, and accessories had to be purchased from the Gonzalez sisters. Since these girls were enslaved, they had no money of their own, which quickly put them in debt to the brothel. That's bizarre, crazy, insane. Absolutely. After they started making enough money in San Juan de los Lagos, that's when they expanded into other areas of Mexico. In Guanajuato, sex work was legal. The women bought a house to turn into a brothel and began luring young girls into sex slavery once again. In some cases, they'd simply abduct girls to keep their business going, but in others, parents of 12- and 13-year-old girls would offer them up, believing that they were giving their daughters a better life in a big city. But instead, they were essentially putting them through a meat grinder. They fed their victims next to nothing and kept them in cramped quarters when they weren't being forced to have sex with strangers. In such horrible conditions, there are a few things that are guaranteed will happen. For one thing, these girls got sick from malnourishment and sexually transmitted diseases. If the illness was determined to be too burdensome by the sister's standards, like they had any, they'd simply kill the girl. Girls would also get pregnant all the time. Sometimes they'd force her to have an abortion, but other times they'd wait until the baby was born and then kill both the mother and the infant.
1: Can you believe this story? This is so horrible. Yeah, this is terrible.
2: When a girl got too old, that's about 25 years old, by the way, or became less desirable to customers, she'd be murdered too. Most of the time, these murders were carried out by the hired enforcers, but sometimes the sisters forced the other girls to beat the doomed girl to death. Some wealthy men were offered the prettiest virgins at top dollar. Now and again, one of these rich men would be murdered, although we're not entirely sure why. Perhaps the hired enforcers just believed they could get away with it, that it was worth it to take that man's money just the one time and not wait for repeat business. Or maybe the sisters, who believed themselves to be devout Catholics, believed that some of the sexual acts their customers wanted to participate in were too disgraceful. They would carve holes in the walls to make sure the enslaved girls were only penetrated. No kissing, oral sex, or same-sex acts were allowed. Jeez, but abuse and rape were just fine. I suppose. Yeah, the women weren't concerned with the well-being of their victims in the slightest. They just wanted to make money and keep their customers from doing anything too untoward to their property. Because, of course, that's what they considered these girls to be, was their property. They would often beat the girls with sharp implements or heavy logs, and then, because the girls were no longer considered attractive because of their injuries, they would be killed too. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll find out
1: how they disposed of all of those bodies.
0: Are you planning an event with audio and visual needs but are not sure where to start? Waves Entertainment can help. Waves Entertainment is your premier full-service management company with high-quality custom solutions for any size event. Whether you are planning a large festival or concert, a corporate meeting or wedding, Waves Entertainment will power your event to excellence. Our team of industry professionals work closely with your vision to ensure your audience hears every word, sees every detail, and remembers the experience. Our goal is to ensure your event is customized to fit your needs and provide professional-grade equipment to amplify your message. From live stage production and talent booking to vendor coordination, event staffing, and more, Waves Entertainment is your one-stop shop for the perfect event. Visit our website, wavesentertainment.com, or give us a call at 704-662-2435. That's 704-662-2435. Waves Entertainment, powering your event to excellence.
1: Now back to the show.
2: So are you sure you want to continue the story? Not
1: really. This is a horrific story. These ladies make Jeffrey Epstein look
2: decent. But yes. But yes, please continue. (laughs) All right. So some of the bodies they buried in mass graves in the remote countryside while others were burnt to ashes. Neighboring families began to realize they never heard from their daughters once they supposedly went to the big cities for legitimate work, and rumors spread that it was dangerous to go with the Gonzalez sisters. In the late 1950s and early 1960s, the women began to kidnap more and more young girls. In January of 1964, one of these girls, Carolina Ortega, escaped. It was a perfect storm of opportunity for her to flee the compound, as police had raided one of the brothels earlier the year before due to a bar fight in which Delfina's son, Ramon Torres, was murdered. Before you feel too bad, he raped the girls along with the henchmen. Many of the girls had been transported to the compound where girls had been sent away to be tortured and murdered. With the sisters in mourning and disarray, Carolina Ortega was able to reach the authorities and describe the horrors she had witnessed. Fortunately for her and other women in captivity, none of the cops she spoke with were on the sisters' payroll. When police executed a search warrant against the compound, they discovered emaciated, terrified women and girls. While the Gonzalez sisters denied any wrongdoing, the townspeople began to gather outside the ranch, threatening to lynch the sisters. Victims led police to the decomposing bodies and bones of 91 girls, men, and fetuses, all murdered under the direction of Delfina, Maria de Jesus, and Maria Luisa Gonzalez. By the time of the raid, Carmen had been dead for a few years, passing away from cancer in the late 1950s. Although that doesn't absolve her of anything, she just
1: missed being brought to justice with her sisters
2: instead. The trial of the century commenced with a media frenzy that was shocking for the time, but kind of predictable now. The sisters were accused of practicing satanic rituals on their victims using witchcraft and spells on the girls and johns. We see these kinds of accusations a lot, usually when women are involved, but there's little real evidence to suggest that their crimes were motivated by Satanism and witchcraft. Instead, it just heightened an already intense and chaotic trial that ended in all three of the sisters being sentenced to 40 years in prison, which was the maximum allowed in Mexico at that time. Delfina went insane in prison, paranoid that she'd be murdered in her jail cell. In either 1968 or 1978, sources are conflicted on the year, some construction workers were doing repairs in the cell above her, which only agitated her further. As she screamed and ranted, the workers looked down on her through the hole in the floor and, according to everything I read, accidentally let a bucket of cement fall on her head. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Accidentally. Right. So Delfina's fears came true, that she would die in her jail cell. In 1984, Maria Luisa's body was discovered half-eaten by rats in her jail cell. Maria de Jesus, who was the youngest, was released early under mysterious circumstances. She went on to marry a man she met in prison, and they lived a quiet life until she died of old age sometime in the 1990s. But that's not the end of the story. In two thousand two, a new housing development was planned for Purisima del Rincón in Guanajuato. It's <laughs> a lot of Spanish at one time. <laughs> An area not far from the ranch where the sisters were apprehended. As workers cleared the land, they found a mass grave containing the remains of approximately twenty bodies that were probably buried there in the fifties and sixties. In the likely scenario that these people were victims of the Gonzalez crime family, that brings their death count to an astonishing 110 victims. Well, that was a heavy story, and I'm glad it's over. Right? Is it over?
1: I guess so. Okay. Well, I hope you're as mad and disgusted as I am about this Jeffrey Epstein-esque story. But join us next week for a new episode of Enmeshed, and please leave teenage girls
2: alone. Seriously. And don't conform to the family norm, bitches.
1: So I wanted to give a little update about the Roden Massacre, which was Season 1, Episode 4, also known as the Piketon Massacre in Pike County, Ohio. And George Wagner IV's trial is going on right now. It's in about the ninth week, Um, as soon as it's over. And the father, the patriarch, Billy Wagner Sr.'s trial is over. We will definitely get a a full episode update. But just quickly, um, they, they don't allow video, and you can opt in for audio if you want. So I don't have all of the information. But I will say that Jake Wagner went into the courtroom and testified, I guess it was against his brother, since Jake and Angela did plead guilty and George and Billy did not. They will both have to speak at their trials. What's interesting, though, was Jake, who seemed very unemotional because I did get a snippet of him talking. He actually talked really well, better than I thought he would. He laid out exactly what happened, detail by detail, house by house. And he claimed, again, we have an enmeshed family here. He claimed that his brother didn't shoot, that he chickened out, that they had this whole plan. And when it was time for his older brother to shoot, he couldn't do it. He didn't. so Jake took care of it. And evidently, Jake shot five people. So I feel like he's trying to save his brother from a murder conviction. I'm sure there will still be a conspiracy conviction, but I'm not buying that anyway. Um, and secondly, when Angela came to speak and she was soft-spoken, they both seemed remorseful. She pretty much said, nope, this was all Billy's idea. She didn't want to be the mastermind that she has become known as. So she, I'm sure, will be presenting herself at Billy's trial. I think it's early next year. Um, But interestingly, George's defense is, I wasn't there. I knew nothing about it. I'm just trying to get away from these people, which I think is a really bold move by his defense team because, first of all, they all lived together. They all moved to Alaska together. People that have come to testify against George, such as ex-girlfriends and such, um, lay out a different picture of him, which would be the same kind of Wagner tradition of controlling and jealous and possessive.
2: So we shall see. That seems to be the case a lot, where if someone's guilty, they act like they I've never heard of this before. Like, what? Me? No, I wasn't there. No, I would never do anything like this. I'm a stand-up person. Yeah. Well, juries are unpredictable, so you never know what's going to
1: happen. But I think the prosecution has a super strong case and the family, um, you know, pretty much going with the prosecution. I think George should have gone for a plea deal or something that would at
2: least be a lesser charge. He's still pretty young, too. But he could ultimately get the death penalty, yep, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. hmm and the poor Rodin family is having to relive all of this all over again, which is awful. It is it's so sad, all of the details, and you
1: know it's just it's just heartbreaking because some of them were very good friends with the Wagner
2: family, so there's that, right. well, we again will do an update episode once all of this is. Done and over with. Finalized and justice for all. Justice has been served. Yeah. So we have another five-star review to add to our repertoire. It was left on our website by Amber T. It says, best crime podcast. I love listening to this. Always great and interesting stories. Thank you very much, Amber, for your review. Thank you, Amber. We appreciate it. And if you would like to
1: leave a review, we would greatly appreciate it. We will give you a shout out. Amber left that on our website, enmeshedtruecrimepodcast.com. But if you leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it moves us up the charts. And that's just what
2: two girls that are doing this whole process could use. So thanks a lot. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, and we will see you next Monday for a new episode of Enmeshed. Adios, amigos and amigas. you for listening all of our sources are in today's show notes as well as those important resources you can find us at enmeshed underscore true crime podcast on instagram or enmeshed true crime podcast on facebook and let us know what you think you can also get a behind the scenes look at the show and chat with us about any of the cases you've heard here or share case suggestions Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to keep up with Enmeshed, and join us every Monday for fresh takes on stale relationships. Enmeshed is an Oh No production. Oh no!